Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Easier account switching, but more charging. How your bank will respond to the Vickers report. Higher income from shares, but how sustainable are dividend yields of 7 or 8%? And more waiting for the state pension. Why, it's now a case of when I'm 67. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Alice Ross. Hello. Elaine Moore. Hello. And Joe Cumbo. Hello. And our specials to you guest, Brian Dennehy, Managing Director of Financial Advisors, Dennehy, Weller & Co. Hello. Let's start then with this week's money news. On Monday, the Independent Banking Commission, chaired by Sir John Vickers, issued its final proposals for radical reform of the UK banking system, following the government bailout of the banks during the financial crisis. Under the proposals, banks will be forced to ring-fence their high-street banking operations from their investment banking arms and provide easier account switching to increase competition. But with the cost of the reforms estimated at £7 billion a year, banks may start charging more customers to use current accounts. Uswitch believes that the Vickers report will hasten this trend, with banks increasingly focusing on high-end customers. Elaine... These reforms may not be fully implemented until 2019, but can bank customers expect to see any changes before then? I think they can. So, as you said, 2019 is the date that the actual proposals are meant to be put in place, and that's been put off a lot because we know that the economic circumstances are not brilliant right now. So in lots of ways, the banks have dodged a bullet with the Vickers report. The ring-fencing suggestions have been a little bit more lax than might have been. Lloyd's is being forced to sell off less branches than was possibly proposed, and the date has been pushed back. So for the banks themselves, this is not as bad as it could have been. For customers, there's been a lot of talk about this huge cost to banks being passed on to them, and that being the end of free banking. And that's something that we've heard again and again and again whenever banks are charged any sort of money this line comes out from the PR people saying that that's it end of free banking you will not get any more kind of free credit cards free debit cards from your bank in the future but I've been speaking to people this week and they say that's not the case so that's not as bad as well I'd I'd feared because my instant reaction is as soon as they get a massive bill they'll pass it directly on to me Absolutely. The thing is, is that free banking in the UK is just too ingrained now. And every bank knows that if they were the first one to say, 
no more free banking, the wave of bad publicity that that would generate, it's just not worth it. But what we are probably likely to see, as you said, is a possible emphasis on the more profitable customers at the expense of the less profitable customers. So we already had RBS saying that its basic bank account customers, these tend to be poorer people, won't be able to use cash points from other banks. It will only be able to use RBS cash points. That sort of thing might occur more. We also might see a little bit of an uplift in um, charges. That's That could be one place where it comes in. So overdraft charges, possibly credit card interest, that sort of thing. But... The good news that I'm here to bring is that we are likely to see also some better offers for current accounts. There have been a few around already. There's been Santander offering up to £300 if you switch to them and actually a higher rate of interest than we've seen in a lot of savings accounts. You get 5% on your money, although there's a lot of restrictions on how much money you can get that 5% on. So we may see more of those. As there's more emphasis on switching, the only way that the banks know that they can get people to move is by incentives like that. And I was quite encouraged to hear uh, the proposals containing measures to make switching easier. But I was disappointed because there was talk about having a sort of a portable account number, just like having a portable mobile phone number that you can move to new handsets or you know, new, new networks. That isn't happening. But will things get easier? Supposedly, they will get easier. There's something coming out today from the um, UK Payments Association that will look at exactly how switching may be improved. So it will now take seven days to move from one account to another. And also the banks will have to guarantee that payments in and out will be all sorted out by them. So it won't be your responsibility to tell anybody that you've moved your account. But the fact that we're not having a portable account number, it's a shame. We've written about this a few times on the money blogs. And um, some experts have come out and shown that the way it could work, you could have a sort of mobile number that you take with you. The underlying, say, sort code and account number, that changes. But you have one number overriding those at the top that you move around. And that might make people feel a bit more secure. We know that, as with mobile phones, people like to, they get used to the same account number, the same sort code. They get used to one bank. I think... One of the main reasons people don't switch is not necessarily because it takes a long time or because it's not easy. It's because this idea that the banks offer the same service. There's no difference. So what's the point? Well, indeed. And uh, Elaine, thanks very much uh, for that. And for more on account switching and changes to bank charges, make sure you read Elaine's article in the money section of this weekend's FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, why a change in the state pension age will leave investors needing to fund another lost year. First, though, share dividends. With this week's economic data showing a rise in inflation to 4.5%, investors are finding it harder to achieve a real return on their money. Basic rate taxpayers now need to earn 5.6% to beat inflation, while higher rate taxpayers have to find 7.5%. With savings accounts unable to provide this, more investors are being advised to turn to UK shares that pay high dividends, some of which are now yielding between 7 and 8%. And for those who want an easy way to identify these shares, a new index has just been launched. The Indexis UK Dividend Achievers Index comprises only companies that have increased their dividends five years in a row. But Alice, this begs a question. Should investors be buying into companies that have paid good dividends in the past or those that have the potential to pay good dividends in the future? 
Well, that is the main question at the moment. Ideally, you would like to buy a company that has both paid good dividends in the past and will continue to pay good dividends in the future. Um, unfortunately, no one can quite predict these things. And the interesting thing is that I looked at two different indices this week that both have different ways of calculating that. The index, this one, as you say, um, this actually looks at dividends that companies have paid in the past. So it looks at five years worth of a company increasing its dividend. And if it's done that, then it goes in the index. Now, the the, um, the iShares, on the other hand, iShares FTSE Dividend Plus um, ETF looks at forward forecasts for the next year of dividends. And um, you have quite a different picture on that on that scenario. I'm actually here with um, Brian Dennehy. Um, Brian, you're um, a keen dividend watcher. I mean, what, what do you think about this difference between should you look back at what companies have done or forward at what they are doing? Yeah, I think it's interesting that most of the ETFs that are out there at the moment that generate um, uh, that generate dividends, like you said, the, the iShares FTSE UK Dividend Plus Fund, they tend to work on projected yields rather than say growth in the in the payouts or or, or backward looking, looking at those which have had steady uh, payout performances, say for the last three years. Or, um, and I think the reason is because the 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 increase is um, it's very difficult to anticipate. The analysts aren't always terribly accurate at saying what the increases are going to be. So it's much easier to work off the current yields than it is to work off anticipated growth to, to create these kind of indices. But the actively, um, the actively managed funds um, obviously try and make those calls and they also try to adjust whatever they hold also for, for, uh, for risk reasons tactically. So we have some such as the Invesco Perpetual Income Fund Man- managed by the marvellous Neil Woodford um, that tactically will adjust what he holds not because of where he thinks the dividend uh, payout increases will be but rather where he thinks that the, the capital protection, capital preservation will be, particularly in the current environment. So he's chock-a-block full of pharmaceuticals and um, and, and, and things like BAT, tobacco companies and and, uh, and, and utilities. Hmm. Well, it's quite interesting if we actually look at some of the highest dividend yielders right now. I looked at some of the constituents of the Indexus Index, and um, the highest yielder was actually Young & Co Brewery, which is yielding over 20%. Now, that might sound brilliant, but of course there's a reason for that, isn't there? There is, there is a reason for that. They obviously expect the dividend to be cut as soon as you get yields, for the sake of argument, that are into double figures. Now, that, that's because it is expected that the dividend will be cut. And obviously the, the actively... Uh, managed funds will seek to avoid those those sorts of stocks um, and, and the ETFs will also try and have buffers in there around what stocks they select to avoid those sorts of stocks ending up in their ETFs as well and, and on the whole they're quite successful but we mustn't forget that in 2008 the, the, the iShares FTSE UK Dividend Plus ETF was chock-a-block full of banks and that was actually very bad so just because you're buying what, what people call passive funds or ETFs, you still have to engage brains, you still have to understand how they select the underlying shares. And we will typically use those ETFs, we both buy them, but we also use them as benchmarks against which to judge the actively managed funds. Mm. And what about some of the more realistic but um, high yielding uh, stocks at the moment? What do we think the the future could hold for them? Because if we look at some of the other um, funds, some of the other companies in the index at the moment, we've got Numis, which is yielding 8%. We've got RSA Insurance, 7.8%, Chesnara, 7.4%. Now, those are all very attractive yields if you're a higher rate taxpayer, and that would be great in terms of beating inflation. Um, but do we think those kind of yields are going to continue in the future? I, I think that's the key, and that's why 
we would tend to try and buy either at stocks with slightly lower yields than that because that tends to imply they're more sustainable but also that there's more growth potential with those yields because you don't just want that seven percent today you want growth in that payout year after year after year for perhaps 10 or 20 or 30 years in the case of someone going through a long retirement so for example a fund or etf which starts with a yield of around about five percent has probably got a lot more potential to grow the payout which is what people through say a long retirement might, might want than just starting off with a yield of seven percent um, from a company like numis for example which, which may never grow at all so you can diversify through through funds whether they're etfs or, or actively managed funds and just very briefly i know that there are some funds that do that they start off with a, a lower yield and they try and improve it give they, us some names they, they do indeed i mean schroeder income is very very focused on uh, looking at uh, uh, companies, not not totally these sorts of companies, but companies which are a bit beaten up, uh, where there's scope for large profit increases, but also large dividend increases, taking a longer view. Thank you very much, Brian. Yes, thanks, Brian and uh, Alice, and for details of the high yield shares in the index that Alice mentioned, and also the prospects for dividends from banks in future, look out for the articles in the money section of this weekend's FT and on the website at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, pensions. Savers in their 40s and 50s discovered this week they will have to work longer and save thousands more into their pensions or face a poorer retirement under plans to bring forward the rise in the state pension age to 67. Reforms planned by the previous Labour government were going to increase the state pension age to 66 by 2020 and then 67 by 2036. But the coalition government said that it favours a faster rise in the state pension age to 67, possibly as early as 2026. This move would affect people currently between the ages of 42 and 53, who will have to wait a year longer than expected for the state pension, or invest more to cover that missing year. Joe, um, this wasn't really expected, I, I, I don't think. Sudden- it's, it's been on the cards and there's still it hasn't been agreed. There's nothing set down or there's no timetable in Parliament for this, but certainly it's cropped up again over the weekend with um, Ian Duncan Smith, the pensions minister, saying that um, the, the current timetable for 2036 for rising to 67 is too slow. So I think that um, we should all prepare ourselves for something to, to come forward uh, in the next parliament to do with the state pension age rising. And I imagine that's the thing that people hadn't really expected. They're going to have to um, change their plans potentially in order to fund you know, an extra year, possibly an extra two years of you know, of pension themselves if they still want to retire at 65. That's right. If they want to stick to their target, they're going to have to um, start making that up now. And as you mentioned, uh, Matthew, those um, who are affected in the band are currently aged between 42 to 53, um, an estimated 8 million. That's not confirmed by the Department of Work and Pensions yet, but who will have to start rethinking how they're going to finance um, the state pension for that year. It's currently about 5,000, but with the universal perhaps flat rate that could rise to about seven and a half thousand uh, in 15 years time so um, the worst affected or the people who most need to think most keenly at the moment are in their early 50s who um, according to some calculations that we had done this week we had some number crunching they need to start thinking about 
fifty pounds a month. That is, if um, you know the legislation was to go through today, they would have to think about putting about fifty pounds extra aside, either into their savings or investment, to to cover that lost pension income for twelve months. Which is which is a lot of uh, of extra investment uh, to make, um, and presumably. Uh, people who are slightly younger than that but still caught by this potential change in the pension age will also have to uh, pay in more. What sort of figures are we looking well, at for younger people? Well, the figures people? that we had uh, drawn up by Hargreaves Landown uh, for us from each individual age, starting from a 42-year-old, they would have to think about an extra £15 a month, rising to about 25 for a 48-year-old. And that's from today, you know, that's about 25, 15 to 25 years out, depending on, on where you are, what age you are. But it also depends where, when the legislation is introduced and how much time and warning uh, people have to plan and prepare. But those figures are based on 2026 being the new uh, increase to 67. And people planning today, of course, if there is less notice given, you'll have to increase how much you set aside. Well, that's yeah. That's certainly the the option if you if you want to have the same amount of income from age sixty five. The other two options, I suppose, would be to use existing savings to try and tide you over for that period, or work longer. I suppose. Well, those are the alternatives, and with the default retirement age being uh, scrapped, you can ask your boss uh, to keep you on for a little longer if you need to make up that reduced income. But the best um, way forward, uh, advisors are saying, and Brian will agree, is to have a fair idea of what income you want and what your expectations are and whether they're realistic for you in retirement. And you can also go to the pension service and get a forecast about what your state pension uh, is currently, so you can at least have some figures to work off going forward. So they can tell you how much it's going to be, but not necessarily not when you're when going it's to get going it. Not going to be, yes. Watch this space. We'll keep you updated on uh, all further developments with uh, changes to the state pension age. But for now, Joe, thank you very much indeed. Uh, and for those calculations that Joe mentioned of how much you may have to invest to make up for lost state pension income, make sure you read her article in the money section of this weekend's FT. But that's all we have time for in this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you'll find all of these stories, plus daily news updates, blog posts and top tips on our website, ft.com forward slash money. You can follow our tweets at twitter.com forward slash FT Money. And if you have a question you'd like us to answer about any aspect of your finances, just email us. The address is money at ft.com. Next week, we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Joe, Alice, Elaine and our special guest, Brian Dennehy of Dennehy Weller & Co. Goodbye. Bye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 